This is Coda Radio, episode 91 for March 3rd, 2014. everyone, you're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Happy March, Chris. Hey, wow, man, we made it. Can you believe it? Yep, I'm celebrating March with a snowstorm. Oh, I was wondering if it's snowing where you're at. Yep. Wow. So you're oh, getting yeah. some of that uh, Arctic, uh, what do they call it? Not Arctic Blast. Um, I have a really good name for like this uh, this Arctic. like. Uh, My understanding is the Coca-Cola bears of the North Pole got drunk. <laughs> and this is how all of this Push the wrong button. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we got a fun show coming up. I have, I have a big March thing to celebrate, too. Uh, I'll tell you about it in just a second. But first, I'll tell you about the show today. So not only are we going to get to your feedback which uh, we got some good questions, some hard questions. But Oren from Hibernating Rhinos, he's a uh, Rhinos, he's a wizard over there working on RavenDB. They've got a new conference coming up. Did you know that RavenDB is an open source document database written in .NET? It offers a flexible data model designed to address requirements coming from real world systems. Let me tell you, Oren is a big deal. He's also known as A&A Rahim, which I think more people might know because of his Twitter and website. Yeah. He strikes fear into the heart of crappy developers, such as myself, everywhere. <laughs> That's why I'm looking forward to talking to him. I think it's going to be a great chat. But first, before we get into the feedback, um, you mentioned it was March. Well, yesterday, March. after I got the Linux Action Show published, something big, real big happened here at the Fisher household. Are you ready You're for it? Another baby. Oh, wow. Wow. No, no. That would be... No, not that. No. Oh, wait! Not that. It was... Get ready for this. We got the keys to the new studio. Holy crap. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So I went over there, I checked it out, and guess what? It's actually in pretty good condition, like clean-wise. Like the renters did a really good job taking care of it. Nice. Uh, it, it it boggles the mind how much work it's going to take to convert that to a recording studio. Uh, but it is now, it is now we're now in the week stage where I'll have an office space, you know, an actual legitimate office space where I can go work, and an, an actual legitimate recording space that isn't my garage. Um, it, we're getting big time here, Mr. Dominic. Yeah, so where's my plane ticket? Oh, I know, I know, right? We should we should have like a big grand opening. Well, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a Linux Fest after party, but that's gonna be a crazy crowd. It's already like gonna be it's already like forty five people there to fit into this little townhouse. So I don't know. I see how it is. I yeah. see how it is. We should just move on. This is you know yeah. I I just can't deal with you anymore. All right. Well, our uh, first bit of uh, just a quick one comes in uh, from uh, Killus twenty four. He just submitted this to the Code Radio subreddit. He says I've been a big fan of the Code Radio program and have started programming again. I recently got myself some awesome hosting from DigitalOcean. Keep up the great work, and thanks for the promo code. Well, why don't I mention our sponsor this week, and that is DigitalOcean. You're not familiar familiar with DigitalOcean? Wow, I've been talking about DigitalOcean for a little while, and I'm really happy to welcome DigitalOcean back for the month of March on the Coda Radio program because they are a perfect fit for our audience. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM. 
a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte, yes, a terabyte of transfer. Plus, DigitalOcean has data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. They have a really simple and intuitive interface, which you can replicate on a larger scale if you need more power using their straightforward API. And here's the best part. If you use the promo code Coder Radio March, that's all one word, Coder Radio March, you can get $10 of credit for DigitalOcean. If you get that $5 rig, that's going to give you two months of your own dedicated DigitalOcean droplet that you can try out anything you want on. I've got mine running all kinds of great tasks right now, and I keep hearing from the audience with great things they're using it for, for testing their applications, for running their own intranets, for doing things like Yassi Search. There's the It's all kinds of options out there. DigitalOcean has blazing cloud fast cloud technology and they pair these ssds with tier one bandwidth and it really makes the difference also they rely on kvm technology so you know you've got a great virtualization option they have that backed by amazing hardware a flexible api global image transfer and even private networking in some options it's all based around this easy-to-use control panel with this super simple droplet system that's still very powerful but very intuitive. They also have DNS management. You can resize images. You can do backups and snapshots before you try something crazy. They have two-factor authentication if you want to make sure it's secure. And they have one-click application installs if you just want to deploy like an Ubuntu LTS machine with a LAMP stack ready to go. One click and you've got that. You can get up and running super fast. Plus, they also have hourly billing if you want to test. And they have a very active developer community. So use the promo code CODERADIO MARCH when you check out to get $10 of credit over at DigitalOcean.com. Big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thanks to Killer24, Killus24, for uh, telling us about his great DigitalOcean experience. Okay, Mr. Dominic, why don't we start with Kyle's email? He wrote in, uh, he has... The, the big the grand uh, certificate question, the certs question, only a little bit of a different take this week. He says, uh, hi, Chris and Michael. I feel you've talked about certificates before, but I couldn't tell exactly when or get your exact pulse on it. My daily driver is Fedora. I've managed many personal CentOS boxes, and I've done notable projects using Red Hat Enterprise Linux at IBM. But without a certificate, I feel that I have no way of showing on a resume that I'm comfortable and capable of setting up a working Red Hat Enterprise Linux machine. I've begun to pursue the Red Hat uh, certifications, and I'm finding they seem to be highly regarded, more so than I even initially thought, and the jobs available to those with Red Hat uh, uh, certificates seem worth more time and expense than it would take to obtain such a cert. What are your thoughts on certificates such as those offered by Red Hat? When searching for a job, would you like some, when looking for a job candidate to hire, would you like something with a Red Hat engineer or Red Hat sysadmin certification? Would that catch your eye any more than a run of a mill A plus or network plus or Linux plus certifications? I look forward to each and every quarter radio. Keep up the great work. So Mike, when you're doing your hiring, uh, do certs matter? And then do certain certs matter than other ones? So the answer is yes. Um, and the answer to the second question is very big yes. You know, there are a lot of these online courses that, I'm not saying they're bad, but they don't have a respected name behind them, so I don't really know. Let's say, I'm obviously not hiring system admins, and it sounds like that's what he was doing. But when I'm looking at Java developers, you know, if you're a I'm a good Java developer.com certified developer, that doesn't mean anything to me. But if you're an Oracle certified Java developer, that's pretty good, right? I would say it's like any other thing. If you're picking a cert, make sure you pick one that's respectable. In the .NET world, obviously go with the Microsoft ones. Um, you know, for what he's doing, I think Red Hat's great. I mean, Red Hat's a huge... A lot of my clients are on Red Hat. It's mm-hmm. hugely deployed, hugely respected. And I would say, too, yeah. that specifically the Red Hat certifications are regarded as really legitimate 
certificates yeah. because they're a challenge to get. The testing process is very rigorous, um, and I, I think they kind of have a prestige about them. Uh, so I'm always the guy that is on these shows saying I don't give an, uh, two flips about certificates. You know, I, I want I want to see experience, I want to see intuition, and I want to see intelligence. Right. Um, but all that said, I do stop and pause when I see a high end Cisco cert or a Red Hat cert, or even right. I mean, the, like the, the lower cert. end certs kind of don't mean a lot. But it's just like it's, the A plus and the Network yeah. Plus. Honestly. I'm sorry. I mean, I respect that you. I I can respect that you spent the time and you had the discipline to achieve that cert, but it, they don't really uh, affect my decision. But I read I mean, how one would. One thing is, this is going to be an opinion thing, right? Certain companies may require the certificate. Yeah. Just as an HR filter, so if you're looking for a job, you know, definitely get it. Um, having said that, I, you know, I've seen also a lot of like paper mill certs, though. Mm-hmm. Especially, I love these new free online learning courses, but I'm seeing people put certs from them on their resume, and it's just not. But I feel they're not that vigorous. Yeah, and uh, the problem is Microsoft actually contributes to some of this with some of the early, some of their early sysadmin ones. Now they've taken steps to sort of, uh, sort of, uh, you know, reel that back in. But there was a period of time where I think that sort of contributed to sort of the misconceptions about sysadmin type certs, uh, and. I would say go for it if you have the time and the money, but I always do prefer experience. Uh, all right. So Bill writes in. He wants to talk a little bit about how uh, different types of uh, methodologies have sort of broken down for him. I, I don't know. I'm not big on methodology, software development methodologies. Kanban? Is that how you say? Kanban. Kanban. All right. Okay. So he says, hi, uh, Mike and Chris. Uh, thanks for Coda Radio. Great shows. Enjoy them all. This week, you talked about Agile versus other methodologies. My current job provides an interesting perspective on methodologies. I'm a longtime enterprise developer and have watched the introduction of Agile in a couple of different environments. The best direction is to select the best tool for the job. Agile is a great tool, but not for every environment or project. Well, okay. Currently, we use Agile for development projects and what was it, Kanban? Kanban. Kanban for maintenance and support uh, teams. When you have a team working on keeping critical software up to date, fixing bugs, and adding small features, Agile just does, does not do the job. You start your day in the stand-up meeting telling about uh, what, you're paying, what you plan to do that day. Then the phone rings. Some production question or problem changes your path. That's why Kanban works better for the maintenance teams. We also have a few cross-team development projects where I'm on a team with others that I see or talk to every few weeks. That team is widely dispersed across the U.S. and India. In this case, Trello is the best tool we've found. It's always available for everyone on the team. It's easy to see the status of the project at any moment, and everyone on the team was able to jump in and use it without any training. In a corporation that has an IT department that develops internal software for other departments, Agile can be ideal. The users are involved in planning. Some of the development have input along the way. And when they change the requirements and the scope, they can see the impact right away. In traditional waterfall projects, after the initial design, the user is often not involved until the project is complete. If it's not right, or if they want additional functionality, it's either too late or results in major redesign. He says, by the way, I enjoy the coffee conversation, and I'm okay with some occasional updates. Yeah. Uh, so, Bill, I, I, I think, and I'm not an Agile certified you know, scrum leader, but <laughs> I would say that, so Trello is a Kanban board. It's, it's just a tool, right? Um, so we use Trello at Fingertip, and it we just... Instead of having a physical board that has no cards on it, we have Trello. Hmm. It's not an alternative to Kanban. It it's a tool. I mean, you could just as easily do Kanban on a on a placard board or on a cork board. 
So I'm not, I, I think, I mean, honestly, it sounds like you're getting frustrated because you have all the framework of Agile, which, you know, I get it. The daily stand-up meetings are annoying, stuff like that. <laughs> um, but you're not blocking out time for development. I mean, you mentioned in particular that the phone rings and then your day is shot. Well, that's, I mean, what I do is I block out a couple hours a day if I can to just do straight development, and then I return phone calls during that time. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, this is, we've been getting this a lot, Chris, and I think people are using agile to mean basically something I either love or something I hate. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I definitely empathize with you, Bill, but I think the thing you really don't like is probably that you're being constantly distracted. And that has nothing to do with Agile, right? If you did big design up front and you had a 100-page uh, you know, statement of the project, or like, the phone could still ring and you'd still be disrupted. Mm-hmm. So disconnect the phone? Yeah, and that's a got a structure. Answer, but, yeah. yeah, well, it's 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 one of those things. that sounds like an easy answer, but it's like to actually accomplish that, it could could involve massive restructuring of oh, his day. Yeah, and I think people keep emailing this kind of thing, and it's because it, it's such a common problem. Yeah, because you know, if, if depending on who's calling you, if you miss that call, that could be a problem. Well, and a lot for of a times, of reasons. a lot of times, it sounds like they're they're looking for a methodology to solve all of the problems when it's a methodology matched with a discipline, matched right. with good scheduling, and and all of and you know, all of that distraction so, management, whatever you want to call exactly. it. Exactly. When I'm going into an organization, one thing I look at is if they do agile and they do stand up, how long is a stand up meeting? Yeah. You know, anything beyond like 15 minutes. That's crazy. I'm, I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, then yeah. I realized this really isn't a stand-up meeting. This is a the project managers get to show off. Right. Meeting. And let's be honest. Like right. uh, a lot of times, the more people you add to that meeting, the more likely it is that meeting is going to be longer than 15 minutes too. Right. And I, you know, I've seen, and this, this is an easy flaw to fall into, and I've fallen into it myself. Mm. That you feel like, you know, some things can't be done in one day. Right. But if you don't say something in the stand-up meeting. You know the higher ups are going to look at you like you didn't do anything. You're not yesterday. contributing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh so, yeah. So we start fluffing up and make you know really going into painful detail oh, about yeah. how hard issues we're facing are, just so you know everybody knows that we're, we're earning. We're working our pay. super hard here. We're working super yeah. hard, everybody. Yeah. That's I hate that kind of pressure because that's sort of it's in one way a self induced pressure because it's sort of like you're extrapolating the expectations and then then trying to perform based on what you've extrapolated. So you're yeah. kind of creating your own problem, but at the same time. Like you, you know that these people are judging you based on the only kind of output they know how to quantify. And in some cases, that's how much you contributed at the meeting or that's how much you're struggling. And so you have to produce some product in that regard. Yeah. And, and if that output is number of commits, you have other problems. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So we got one last email to get to before uh, we bring our guest on. And uh, this is from Aaron. And he says, first off, uh, first time emailer, but longtime fan of the Jupiter Broadcasting. Loves all the shows. Last Lup, Coda Radio, TechSnap, et cetera, et cetera. Can't wait for the how-to to hit the air. And uh, he says he loves the awesome outlet for the Linux world. But he has a question. Hippie. He's a custom Linux desktop builder. Wow. Hippie. <laughs> uh, and he says, I'm wondering uh, if it would be a good, if there would be a good way or rather the safest and most secure way to accept payments for products and services via my website. The site is currently being developed by myself and the products are being sold via word of mouth. Once the site is operational, however, I'm concerned about the legal liability of accepting and processing customer user credentials and payment types such as credit cards and all that kind of info. I've been looking for a few third-party options like payment through PayPal or some other payment brokers or even through the bank directly. But being a security and tin hat nutter, 
that I am. I want things to be as minimal and as less exposed as possible. Any suggestions from you or Mike would be greatly appreciated. Now, I thought you might have a few suggestions since you sold software on the web. Yeah, dude. Uh, don't do it yourself. Get PayPal. Gumroad is what I used to use. They're pretty cool. Um, the bank can do it, uh, depending on your bank. I've talked to my bank. It's not the most easy process. Or economical. Right. It's one of the more expensive processes. Uh, there's Stripe. There are so many easy ways for you to do this. In fact, Stripe is really nice and Gumroad is really nice. PayPal, the nice thing about PayPal is everybody will trust PayPal. But I don't know. I don't necessarily like the way they look. I'm Well, I'm you always have a Chris. contingent of PayPal haters. And Stripe, yeah. what, Stripe just gives you an SDK? Or how does that work? Stripe is actually pretty full-featured now if you're using it on the web. They will redirect you to kind of like a PayPal-style page. Uh, you can even style it with your branding if you need to. But again, it's smaller than PayPal. Less people know it. One issues I had, one issue I had when I was selling the software directly through the site was some folks, a lot of folks actually, didn't know Gumroad. Yeah, and they were refusing to put put their credit card information in. Right. Yeah, because they were worried that this was, you know, and people also there's a little resistance to creating a new account anywhere. Did you have to, yeah. you have to create a new account when you use these services like Stripe? You did because uh, I. The way I was doing it is you got the e- the updates via email. Yeah. Yeah, so it was not the best. It, it's a good solution, but it's not ideal. I mean, if it does, name recognition, I found, matters a lot. Yeah, yeah, because people yeah. people have this, people have trust with, like, the PayPal and Amazon brands. Yeah. And so my experience in, you know, taking funding online and things like that, too, has been there's always a, con- a percentage that don't like Amazon and they don't like PayPal. Right. Um, but the percentage of people who trust them is higher. Um, right. So, you know what? And, and, and honestly, what I did is I – and maybe because you're a tinfoil hat nutter, you might want to consider this too – is uh, I have other options I'm, I'm looking into specifically for our different funding. But for people who don't want PayPal and don't want Amazon, I said, well, maybe you just want to use Bitcoin. And here's a Coinbase widget. You click that. When they buy it, you can have it convert directly to dollars so that way you don't have to hold um, – uh, Bitcoin, if you don't want to be involved with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just the transaction medium. And that's uh, BitPay might be a better option for that. Uh, and what it does is it's essentially they, they pre-charge an account, sort of like an internet points account, and then they can debit from that account. And then when it goes to your account, it can be converted immediately to dollars. That's another option too. Uh, and it yeah, doesn't require an account. Then you're subject to all the Bitcoin crap. Yeah. Well, that that immediate... Um, so, what the, so the price, the, the widget will adjust the price based on the immediate... Uh, Bitcoin price, and then when the transaction is completed, it's a, it's converted to to cash. So it's like a thirty second process. So you're not. It'll just be value. So if it, so, if, say if Bitcoin right now is at six hundred and twenty two dollars, you'll get six hundred and twenty two dollars immediately because they they just do the, they do an instant conversion to cash. So it's kind of like a intermediary. You can look into it. He, it's, I'm not recommending it for anybody, but Aaron, maybe for you, you might want to consider it because you seem down with the with the Linux and the tin and the tin hatter stuff. But um. I would say my recommendations would be PayPal and Stripe. I mean, Stripe is is very nice. Um, you know, it, it's funny because like this is from be a customer a lot standpoint. Harder. Like yeah. when I use a Stripe checkout, I I like Stripe a lot. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good system, and I also think Stripe is gaining pretty good name recognition now. Like when see, even when you started selling software, you know, back towards the beginning with uh, uh, CodeJournal. Of this of this show, Stripe wasn't as well known then. But I think in even just in in the eighty ninety weeks that it's been, I think it's hugely grown. 
Diwali is another option, but uh, I don't know about that. You know, people have been mentioning Diwali to me. In fact, the client I currently have was asking me if I take payment through Diwali, and I was like, what the hell's Diwali? It's interesting. It's interesting. It's sort of a yeah. PayPal competitor. Um, is it? I, yeah. I, I keep meaning to look at it, but... Yeah, yeah. It, I've used it a bit. I, I really, uh, I have no, I have nothing bad to say about it. Uh, I, it's worked pretty well, and they have special provisions for business accounts and, and things like that. So it's worth, it's, I'd say put it on your list to check out, too. Yeah. You know, okay. uh, so, uh, Aaron, if you're going to be starting a business online, then our next sponsor would be perfect for you. So I'll go ahead and mention GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy is really focusing these days on the small business and on people getting online, starting something up. And we have a special promo code just on Coda Radio where you can get a .com for $3.49 if you use the promo code CODER. 349. I know so many of you have got great ideas for a business and want to start selling your products or services online. Maybe you've established, maybe you're an established business already and just looking for new customers. Or maybe you're interested in sort of upping your game online for your existing business. No matter who you are, GoDaddy wants to help you kick ass online. Right now, GoDaddy's offering dot coms for $3.49. It is go time, my friend. Start your website today. Visit GoDaddy.com. Enter promo code CODER349 to get a $3.49.com. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have some future um, uh, offer codes from them that'll help you sort of publicize and, and get in all the indexes and stuff like that. But start right now. Go get your .com for $3.49. Coder 349, a special limited time offer for the Coder Radio audience of $3.49.com. Coder 349, and a big thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, I want to welcome Oren onto the show. He's, uh, he's the wizard, as he's, uh, as he's titled himself, from uh, Hibernating Rhinos, and they're working on all kinds of great stuff. Oren, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good. So uh, you're calling us today from Israel and what? It's about 8 o'clock, uh, a little after uh, 8 where you're at? 7.15 p.m. Oh, oh, okay. Not too bad. So hopefully just a little bit after dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I teased it in the beginning. Um, could you give us a little background on uh, what Hibernating Rhinos does and also maybe a little bit about uh, RavenDB? Uh, yes. So here's the non-technical uh, spiel that I give to, you know, my wife, for example. Okay, perfect. Uh, the co- yes, the company is, uh, is dealing with data, data storage and monitoring. So we have a suite of tools that is basically sitting between uh, your application and a relational database. And it is able to actually give you a great visualization about everything that goes on between the database and your system. And uh, on top of that, we're able to, you know, provide guidance, analytics, uh, suggestions. Oh, you're using this thing here. That means that this query cannot be optimized. You should be using that API instead, that that sort of things. Mm. Uh, Out of that, basically, that was a false real product. And the problem was that it meant that we every single day had to deal with uh, basically crappy database applications. Because that was our field. Yeah. Uh, and let me put it this way. Um, both of you have done web developments professionally, right? Yes. Okay. Now, uh, you get called to a customer. The customer has something like 2,000 uh, concurrent users. Their database server, hardware alone, could probably found a small... The, the price for that database server could probably fund a small country for a year or two. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, that's 
it's burning up. Oof. Now, now this is literally just two two thousand users. I'm used to you know. Let's talk when you. Let's talk to me when you have two hundred thousand. Right. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and we run our tool, and we find that these guys have. You know what? I'm not even going to tell you. Try to guess how many queries per page load. Mm, oh boy! Oh Jesus! Probably uh, a mess, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, seventeen thousand. Oh my! Oh my I, God. I never would have guessed that much. No, I, w- I was yes. going to go like maybe a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish that would have been so much better. Yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, anyway, I spent two days there and uh, left them with nearly uh, seventy queries per page load. Wow! And you know, uh, th- that's funny because what happened is that they had a whole set of unnecessary queries that were being generated and they were querying things very, very, uh, you know, let's build the entire object graph. And now they have this, you know, probably a multi-million dollar uh, machine that is sitting there serving, as a, being used as a SQL server, essentially idle. Uh-huh. Because think about it, 17,000 queries time to... 2,000 concurrent users, no wonder the thing was burning up. Hmm. And, you know, this is admittedly the worst that I've seen, but I've been seeing that sort of stuff every single day, and it's got exhausting. And I didn't see that, you know, there's some people that you look at the code and you say, oh my God, you should be in a zoo. You're not even worth to be a code monkey. <laughs> I'm revoking your keyboard privileges and go away and never come back. You've Turn in your banished. keyboard and SSH keys. You're done. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and there are some people that, you know, I want to build a great application. And what I care about is the user experience. What I care about is, you know, getting things done. I don't actually care about you know, the intricities of uh, optimized SQL or how do I get my data from whatever. And there's, those are good people. Those are good developers. They just don't care that much about the data. Mm. And you saw people who do care about it that are just, you know, falling to pit traps. Uh, so that's the point where we started thinking, okay, maybe we can do something about it. It's beyond just, you know, hey, you're doing something stupid here. Mm. And at the same time, I started uh, getting involved in NoSQL movement. And what I realized is that this is actually what I was waiting for, that I don't have to accept the limitations that I have with relational databases. I don't have to follow the table column row model. And that is how RemedyB actually got born. It started as, you know, after hours things, and it grew, and suddenly it became a product. Interesting. And RemedyB is, is basically a document database. And the idea here is that uh, instead of structuring your data as table columns and row, which is something that is intrinsically foreign for many uh, for many systems, what you actually want to do is to structure your data as documents. In this case, document means a JSON document, not a Word or Excel document. But the basic idea is that, um, you know what, let's think about something that seems like it would be great for tables and rows, and let's talk about accounting. 
accounting looks like, oh, great, we have tables, we have rows. And then you realize that accounting is all about grouping of those things. I care about, I have an invoice and I have an invoice line. And there is absolutely no point of actually looking at an invoice line independently of its invoice. And then, mm-hmm. you, then you realize that there is actually a lot of business rules that goes into modifying an invoice. And then you have someone that can just go in and slip in an, an invoice line into the system. And there is actually no way for you to, to handle that. Because you, ha- because you have to use something called cost and locking SQL Server, and that's utterly crap to try to deal with this. Yeah. So we started building RevenueB, and then we realized that, you know what, it's not just the model. It's the kind of promises that we could give you that are drastically different. Uh, coming back again, let's say that you're building a web page, uh, some web application. Uh, you have a database, you have web servers. Are you going to use a cache? Is it something that you would normally do? Sure, of course. Yeah. yeah. So why would you do that? To What's the point of the performance? Yeah. No. 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 The reason that you're doing a cache is because your database is slow. Oh, well, okay. Great course, point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Why is your database slow? Well, one, one reason that it's slow is that it overpromised. Mm, uh, think mm. about it. Uh, a relational database has a set of promises that it uh, that it made. One of the f- promises is that we will pretend to the entire world as if we can give you uh, acid guarantees for everything at no cost. Think about it. Uh, you have a query that is running and you want to do some, you have other uh, operations doing writes and then you have more queries coming in and eventually you get into a system where there are so many logs in place or there are so many costs of actually trying to figure out what is the latest information that you just forget about it. I'm going to put those queries in the cache and only worry about them once in a while. Right. And that will reduce the, uh, the load on my database so I can just do writes. And you know what? If I'm showing you the page, I don't care that uh, 15 milliseconds ago someone changed the data. Because you wouldn't care if 15 milliseconds after I showed you the page, the data changed. Or if you do, there should be other uh, mechanisms right. in place to right. handle that. Right, exactly. Exactly. So with be some of the things that we did was a very radical. We changed the sort of promises that we uh, give to the users. So when you make a, when you write to RavenDB, there is no cost to things like the number of indexes that you have. Hmm. In relational databases, the more the more indexes you have, the slower the, the slow writes become yes. because whenever you make an update, you have to update all the indexes. In RevenDB, you don't have that cost. You don't have that cost because we're actually updating indexes in the background, not in the right thread. Right. And when you're going to do a read, what we're actually going to do is going to say, look, I'm going to give you the results that I have as of right this minute. And be aware that I got just got the right, you know, 10 milliseconds ago. I haven't had time to process that. So there might be more stuff waiting up for you, but here's what I have right now. And the basic idea is that, you know, you just get that immediately and 
you don't have to wait. Now, if you do actually care about this, you can wait. You can say, you know what? No, I actually do care about uh, these updates, and I want you to finish indexing them and give me the uh, updated result. But consider something like a homepage, or, you know, most pages in the Internet, you could have no, no extra cost of actually handling that. Sure. So, but when you're doing, uh, when you're using a relational database, it is forced by the kind of contractual promises that it gave to actually do all of that work. Mm-hmm. So we are actually able to get away with doing so much less work. Uh, another interesting thing that uh, really that's really funny is um, aggregation. Let's say that, again, let's go back to the uh, invoicing uh, model because it's easy to talk about. Okay. I want to see my gross, uh, my gross uh, income by customer. Sounds like a reasonable thing to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I actually want to take it one step ahead and say, I want to see my gross income by all customers, by, no, by the top most uh, uh, biggest customers okay. on the homepage. Okay. Now, if you try to do that with a relational database, that's something like select some uh, invoice dot amount. No, sorry. That is actually select a, some a line dot amount a, from invoice lines joined to a invoices, go by invoice dot customer, and then get it all back. Now, Try to imagine that you have lots of invoices. You have a big system. What do you think is going to be the performance of such a query on your system? Right. It's a big load. Yeah, not, that's yeah. not a good idea. Yeah. And that's something that they want to put on your actual homepage. So every single user is going to see that. Right. So, so yeah. Yeah, let's let's say that you know because I've been interested in RavenDB for a while, but mm-hmm. not really being in the .NET space, it's it's a little difficult for me to come at. Let's say you've sold me, right? Yeah, yes. because these are these are I gotta tell you when I when I go into a place, these are the most common problems I see. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's not memory leaks and old Mac applications, it's the <laughs> database on the servers destroyed. Yes, yes. Um, am, am I kind of you know I'm more of a Java person and on the server side. Am am I out of luck? No, we have a JVM API that's uh, effectively identical to the .NET API. If you are a Node.js guy, uh, there are drivers available for RavenDB. Hmm. Uh, we actually have a customer that does RavenDB work in PHP. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the key point here is that, yeah, we provide drivers for some environments, notably JVM and .NET are the primary one that we focus right now. But uh, RavenDB is fully REST-based. That means that uh, the barrier to entry, okay, I just want to get something uh, started, is very, very low. And we have people, you know, uh, writing a browser application directly against RavenDB just using REST calls from jQuery. And uh, it's really, really simple. So that's, that's very interesting. So if you had something more simple than, it would, let's say, just the website, or maybe you didn't need a, a full back-end API implement, implementation, you could go from the client, the website, straight to the DB. You could. There are security considerations if you do that, course. but yes, you can do that. 
Um, That's very and, and the parity between let's say the JVM implementation and the .NET implementation are they more or less feature parity? Yes, there are some changes that you can't avoid. For example, in .NET we have link. In Java we we use something called a we use something that looks like generated query classes. Okay. So you have a product entity and you have queue product that you use to generate strongly type queries. Uh, I don't remember the packaging for that right now. Uh, we don't have, so in .NET, we have async API that is in the TPL. We don't have something similar for Java because it doesn't have something like the async or await keywords. Yeah. Yes. Uh, those are the major things. Uh, beyond that, the API is very, very similar. Uh, you've used Hibernate, obviously. So uh, our API was explicitly modeled around that. Okay. So, you know, you have the something called the document store, and this is a, a, the equivalent of a, the session factory. And you have the document session, and you go store, document store.open session, you get a session back, then you do store, 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 save changes, you're done. Okay. Uh, one more question. Uh, a lot of the .NET developers who listen are, are very interested in Azure, which makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? Yes. How how yes. easy is RavenDB to get running on Azure? Is that is this like is there a click through process or is this something where? Uh, okay, so there is one problem with Azure in okay. their I/O rates are not as good as I could have wished they were. Mm. Okay. Uh, in general, the process for uh, setting up on Azure is compromised. Of you get a VM role. You go through the setup, which is basically a click install, or you just say msxx slash install slash something. I don't remember off the top of my head, but that's pretty much it. And you get a fully functioning, uh, you get a fully functioning RevenB server that you can start use. Uh, it's really, really that easy. Uh, we have many customers running on Azure's. Uh, we actually so we actually have a lot of features that are very interesting. Just when you go to the cloud, so for example, uh, if you're running on Azure, uh, you usually want to run on a high availability scenario because Azure machines can co- can come and go at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you do is you set up two or three RevenDB nodes. And importantly, you only need two for high availability with RevenDB. With most NoSQL systems, you actually need three or five. And you set up two RevenDB nodes, and you set them as master-master replication. That entire process takes about three minutes. Hmm. Yes. That's Uh, amazing. Yeah, if you ever tried to set up SQL replication... Yes. You know exactly why that's so amazing, because that's a process that usually takes a week for mm-hmm. experienced DBAs. <laughs> and, and for people like me, a month. <laughs> <laughs> no, people like you just don't get it. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. We avoid that's, it. That's a <laughs> no, problem. no, that's fine. Uh, MS SQL is not my bag. So, so let's, you know. So, one second. So, you set ahead. up the high availability application, and... Once you set up on the server side, you don't have to do anything on the client. It will detect that topology uh, automatically. And if you have a machine goes down, it will automatically switch down to the other. And you can even set up the server so it will do automatic backups to S3 or Uh Glacier or 
to the uh, Azure binary storage. That's nice. Yes. Yes, it is. That's very nice. So, okay, so where, how does RavenDB compare, and I, I have a feeling you're going to say it's better and it's faster and it avoids a lot of the problems, of two other NoSQL databases? Um, the tagline for RavenDB is second-generation document database. Okay. And that is mostly because we started developing that around 2008, 2009, and there were already uh, other uh, non-SQL in the market, and there were already document databases in the market. Most notably, CouchDB is something that I look at sure. very, very closely at the time. And I think that from a design perspective, it's an absolute genius a product from a product perspective it's horrendous it's horrendous because there is very little thought given to making things easy making things uh, you know um, simple for the user to operate to develop against all of the sort of things uh, let me give you a very simple example I want to uh, let's say I put you know thousand users into couch and I want to query them by their name so I have to go and write a design document and do the map function in JavaScript and all of that stuff. And then I have to have some way of actually, you know, package that and push that to production when I'm updating my application. And that's just, you know, it's not a sustainable mode for mm. redevelopment. With RevenDB, if you try to say, if you put 1,000 users into RevenDB and says, uh, I want to query them by name, it will, query, it will query them for you by name, and you have to do zero work. Not only that, but uh, unlike SQL Server, where you can do pretty much the same thing, but it will do a table scan, mm-hmm. this will also work if you have 100 million users, because behind the scene, RevenDB is actually have an engine that can optimize those things for you. So you make a query on users, and we actually are going to go ahead and generate an index behind the scenes, utterly automated for you and give you the results back. And the more that you query on something, the more that we know that this is important and we can adjust resources dynamically to say, okay, I see that this is something that you really care about. I'm going to keep it, keep, keep as much of it in memory for as long as possible. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, all of the caches are warm. And uh, you know what? Even to the point where by default, if you make a query, uh, we can usually already say that, okay, you already did this query before. It hasn't changed. Just use whatever you have already in memory. And the only thing that you have to do is just check with the server if something has changed or not. And we have optimized code parts for that entire thing. Uh, same thing with... a. Uh, same thing with, you know, just about everything else. We have customers that have spikes ranging from, you know, 8.58 p.m. Sorry, 8.58 a.m. There are no users on their site. They are running a, basically a conference. And at uh, 9.05, they have 5,000 users on their site. And at 9.50, they do raffle. So you have 5,000 users in the conference all hitting the same button at the same time and they run out on a single RavenDB node. And it handles that because it, it is able to uh, very efficiently allocate resources to the current workload. 
So you don't need to have, you know, the uh, DBA uh, babysitting the database throughout all hours of the day. Mm. The database is actually able to make very small decisions based on its own workload because it's the single entity that knows everything about the database. Now, obviously, there are tunable parameters that you can set, but most of our tunable parameters come in min and max pairs and lets the database, you know, make its own decision about how to go about using them. So I know you guys have a conference coming up pretty soon. Uh, I I feel like this is something that uh, is is really kind of I, I'm finding a lot of organizations are, are really reaching out, establishing a big community with these conferences. Uh, can you tell us a little a little bit about RavenConf? Yes. So this is actually a five day conference and workshop. It's going to be held in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it's we're going to have. The first two days are going to be about uh, the conference, about, you know, having people from uh, the development team and having people from the community come and speak about RevenDB, about the RevenDB usage and experience and what they've been doing with that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, obviously the timing is actually quite important. This is actually happening on the 7th and, 7th and 8th of April. And then okay. after that, we have three days of workshop for a... We have three different workshops for a really in-depth and detailed course for taking you throughout all of the internals of RenDB, all of this is why it, this is why we do that, this is why we do this. This is how you can best take advantage of that. Mm. And that moves from, you know, let's talk about how to properly model your data in a RenDB application to how you can work with reporting databases, high availability, sharding, the whole shebang. Cool. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. I just, I think, you know, this is, it sounds really awesome. And I thought that'd be a perfect time to mention if folks want to find out more and they could make the trip, that'd be a great spot to go. Yeah. Actually, I think that we can do one better and give you some coupons so people who want to register can get some discount off. Oh, really? So, oh, there we yeah. go. Hey, all right. Yeah. How do we so want to do by that? The end, uh, we send you a coupon code by the end. By, by the end of this okay. uh, podcast, and then you can put it on the show notes. Or yeah, we'll put like it in the show notes. Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to give that a plug so people could uh, – I wanted to make sure people heard about that. Yeah, we're very, very excited about that. Yeah, that's great. Is also, this the first we have one? a lot of swag to give. Is this the yes, first conference? This is, yes, this is the first one. We're planning another one in Europe sometime probably later this year or uh, next one. But, uh, yeah, this is the first one. We actually have an office manager here that has been uh, busy just, you know, beating just about everyone to get uh, RevenDB memorabilia. Oh, I don't cool. have me. Yeah, so we have ton and ton of stuff, ton and ton and ton of stuff to give away, and that's really, really cool. So RevenDB is open source, correct? Yes. And, so, and what license? It's under the AGPL, okay. and it's also available under a commercial license if you want, you know, go with it for production in commercial settings. Okay. Uh, so the, I wanted to ask, how yeah. much does it, how much would it cost to, is there, you know, so you mentioned it's on Azure. How does that work in terms of cost? Uh, so let's say that you're running right. a, the two-node the two cluster that I mentioned. So you're paying to Azure however much you pay for Azure normally. Sure. And you need to pay for two RevenDB licenses that that would come up to under $800 per year. That's not bad at all. 
That's not bad at all. Okay, I, I asked the question because I know we were going to get twenty emails about it. Yeah, that actually, when yeah. you think about it, yeah. uh, when you think about the cost of hosting and things like that, that's pretty reasonable. No, that's pretty reasonable, particularly for the you know putting it in production. Yeah, hmm. they have a lot yeah. of headaches. Yeah, and if you don't want to worry about you know production management and that kind of stuff, we also have a Raven HQ, which is a company that is actually dedicated specifically to have a cloud hosting for RavenDB. So you just go there and register, and they manage everything for you. You don't have to worry about the team. That is fantastic. I like that a lot. Uh, I think we have some final questions to get to, but I do want to stop right here and thank uh, our final sponsor this week, the awesome folks over at Ting.com. Get started by going to coderadio.ting.com. If you haven't heard, they've recently lowered their rates too, so they now have even more competitive data rates. Try out that savings calculator when you go to coderadio.ting. Ting.com. And the way that works is just tell them how many minutes you use. So say you have 500 minutes, maybe you get 300 text messages and uh, say you use uh, 400 megabytes a month and my bill was $125. Hit that calculate savings button there and you can see right there, I would save $2,232 in two years by switching to Ting. It's a pretty awesome and pretty bold statement right there. Of course, every single Ting account is no contract with no early termination fee, and you only pay for the minutes, the messages, and the megabytes that you use. They just add up whatever bucket you fall into at the end of the month. That's what you pay. Every plan has voicemail, caller ID, all the standard stuff. Even hotspot and tethering are included, and Ting has an early termination relief program to help you get out of a contract. They've also got an amazing dashboard, a great selection of devices that you own outright. They have from the, the entire price spectrum. And they're super great for teams or families because you can have multiple devices in one account sharing a set of pooled minutes. Each line is just a flat $6 plus taxes, and then you just pay for what you use. People love Ting, and I love Ting. I've been using them for over a year now. I've got HTC One and Nexus 5 currently on the Ting network, and I love just paying for what I use. When I need one to be a hotspot, I turn it on, and it rocks. So get started by going to coderadio.reddit.com. That lets them know you heard about it here on the show. You can support the show just by visiting and checking them out. And then you'll save $25 if you decide to get a device. And if you've already got a device you want to bring, you'll save $25 on your Ting account. It's a pretty great deal. So go over to coderadio.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic. Oh, by the way, I should mention, too, Ting now has iPhone 4S. Yes. What? Yes. Okay. Um, so uh, we, have a, we have a little bit of time left. So I, I know you have probably had a few more questions you wanted to get in before we run. Yes, uh, I just have one more question. Okay. Why did no one tell me about this sooner? <laughs> I, I was surprised. I was surprised too when I heard about it. And I, uh, I also think I find it fascinating that uh, it's, it, it seems to be from, you know, with the chat room, it doesn't seem to be very, really well known in the chat room either, but it seems to be well received. So I think, yeah, that's an interesting point. And of course, Oren's helping by coming on shows like this. Oh, it looks like we have our coupon code. Oh, good yes, man. Yes, you do. Okay, so uh, folks, if you're over at, uh, we'll have a link to, it's conference.ravendb.net, but we'll have a link in the show notes. And when you're grabbing your tickets, use the promo use the promo code JUPITER. And what does that get them? 15% discount. Hey, that's oh. great. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'll put a link directly to the tickets page in the show notes too, so folks can find mm. that by going there. I've also got a link to your Twitter profile, Or, and I think people might be interested in uh, getting a hold of you and you guys. What's the best way for folks to find out more information about uh, uh, probably revenue.net is the obvious uh, case. Uh, beyond that, uh, iende.com, where I host my blog, is where a lot of the actual 
details of, you know, we had this bug, we have this optimization, those sort of things are discussed. Uh, we also do long-term uh, planning there. So, you know, you know those uh, design meetings that you have for stuff that happened in six months or 12 months sure. from now? Yep. We have that on the blog. Okay. Yeah. I put a link to this, so we'll have a link to that too in the show notes. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was great chatting with you, and I want to wish you best of luck with the conference. I think that's really exciting. Sounds like an awesome project too. I certainly think so. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show yes. today. Thank you for coming. Thank or you guys. might have a new customer here. Yeah. <laughs> Very happy to hear that. All right, Ord, have a great rest of your evening. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, well, that was great. That was a good chat. I just had a few bits of business to take care of before we business. ran. Yeah, a little bits uh, because, uh, you know, we have the uh, T-shirt available uh, and I just we're probably going to shut it down when it gets to about 1400 orders. And so I wanted to make a mention to just it's probably the last no, few days. Oh, no, Chris, what about the beautiful money? Well, so here's what it is, is every shirt, every hoodie, every t- ladies tee, they all come with a coin, a challenge coin, and we have to buy them in batches of 1500. So that's a little lame. Yeah, and if we and if we buy another batch, we'll probably eat all of the profit we'd make from the actual shirt sales. Uh, so it's kind of like a walking that fine line. So you can, but we'll have it available for a few more days. It's, we just reached a thousand and one during the show. We broke the thousand mark during Coda Radio. You can go to teespring.com/last300 to find out more about that. Oh, and that's my electrician calling about the studio right there. Well, that's nice that's stuff. convenient. So anyways, uh, teespring.com slash last 300. Now, look, the other thing I wanted to mention, the other bit of business is we'd love to get your emails. So uh, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and choose Quota Radio from the dropdown. Send us in your discussions, your thoughts, your ponderance on all things related to development. We'd love to entertain it. And also, <laughs> we'd love to hear your thoughts on RavenDB and uh, shoot that into. Uh, you can also email us directly, Radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All right, Mr. Dominic, anything else you want to cover before we run today? No, I think uh, we all have a lot to think about today. Yeah, and a big thank you to Orrin for coming on the show today. It was a great discussion, and uh, you can find everything we talked about, links to it, in the show notes. I might mention you can catch us live on a Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at jblive.tv. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it converted to your local time zone. Mr. Dominic, if I was going to direct people to your general direction throughout the week, where would I send them? Uh, DominicM.com or Moscow. Oh, really? Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good to know. All right, well, you can find me on twitter.com slash chrislas. And be sure to join us live if you can. We'd love to have you hang out in our awesome chat room. You can help us title the show, and you get a pre and post show, too. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>